Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. ERP systems. Everyone has one. But what are they? How do you pick one? How can you optimize the system you have today? Sam Gupta of Elevate IQ consults on ERP systems and has created a process to help his customers understand how ERP systems help a company in its business transformation, how they play an integral role in making that business transformation happen. Because that is sort of what it's all about. ERP is a tool, and it's not the end goal. It's just a tool to help us run our companies better. Sam's got a bachelor's degree in engineering and a master's in technology, commercialization, product marketing, entrepreneurship, and entrepreneurship. He also hosts a very popular program called WBS Rocks. And I say program and not podcast because it's multidimensional. It's got a community and a media company around it. And I'm going to ask Sam a little bit about that as well because he's gone beyond the traditional podcast. But WBS focusing on digital transformation, business growth, and let's jump into it. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Sam. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jay. I'm super excited to talk to your fun listeners. We were introduced by a really smart shop owner, Matt Goosey. He is in Wisconsin and you're based out of Toronto. How do you know Matt? How'd you meet him? Well, to be honest, through the community called WBS Rocks, I meet super sharp and smart people, especially in manufacturing. I invited Matt to our show. And hmm. since then, our relationship has grown substantially. We have made tons of intros to him. He always, you know, comes to our community happy hour. So mm -hmm. we are good friends. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to see you're doing a lot in the manufacturing community. And I was thinking about the conversation we're going to have, and I'm going to try to make it a little bit different and pretend I am a shop owner and I'm in the five to $10 million revenue range. And I, let's say I don't have an ERP system now. I, I, of course I would. But I, I'm looking at ERP systems, trying to understand it. I'm, it's just, this ERP stuff's not my thing. So I just want to ask you a bunch of questions so I can be better prepared to make a decision as the process continues. Does that sound like a good way to do it? That sounds like a great plan. But before I get there, I guess we'll make this as part of it. I always, when I was, had the salesperson come in, a consultant come in, I wanted to know a little bit more about them. And yep. in my intro, I mentioned your master's and that was down at the University of Texas in Austin. It sounded yep. like a really pretty wide ranging and 
interesting program. And in particular, I know what entrepreneurship is, but what is entrepreneurship? So entrepreneurship is going to be anything that happens inside the corporate boundaries. So as opposed to doing the entrepreneurship on your own. So let's say if you are working for companies such as 3M manufacturing, mm-hmm. right, or Boeing or Airbus, and what you are trying to do is either the company, for example, 3M, they are trying to promote the same energy that a startup is going to have. So they are trying to fund the innovation inside the organization and they are going to find people like either myself or somebody else who are going to have background, let's say in entrepreneurship. So inside the organization, it runs as if it is going to be the startup. So it is going to be completely decoupled with the parent organization. So it sounds like you're trying to foster rule breakers within a structured organization. Because I always think of entrepreneurs as rule breakers, but you you got to upset the, you're, it's, it's the company looking to upset the apple cart from an internal standpoint and allowing a startup outside of them to beat them to whatever the next level is. Is that it? one way of putting it? That's about right, to be honest. And, you know, even the rule breakers need some sort of sponsors and champions. So, you know, that's why we have the corporate boundaries and they are the ones who are funding. But I mean, as you know, when you are really big uh, and in fact, I mean, see, if you look at the traditional organizations such as traditional manufacturing, I mean, they are going to struggle with innovation inside the organization. So Mm -hmm. you have to create sort of the separate area that, hey, you guys, you don't touch my business, but your goal is going to be to find something that is going to take my business to the next level. So you have this, let's say if I have the manufacturing facility and then you create a completely separate room. Hey, you rule breakers, you troublemakers, you hang in there, you know, I'll fund you and try to find something really interesting for me. So that's what is really the entrepreneurship in very simple terms. I like that positioning of a academic program because there's so many attributes for entrepreneurs. And I always wonder if somebody gets a degree in entrepreneurship, In my opinion, you really should work for someone else first to get a sense of how things go. But a lot of these individuals coming out of school and entrepreneurship programs just sort of plunge in and just wonder how many are successful and how they may have been more successful if they had perhaps done an entrepreneurship within an organization first and learned some of those boundaries. Yeah, so it's a very interesting program. And I kind of agree with you about the overall success through these programs, if there are going to be any companies that are being successful. But this specific program is fairly unique. The average age of this program is going to be 40 to 45. Uh, Yeah, so one of my... um, colleague or the the mate uh, who we had in the program, uh, I think his age was 65 to 70, to be honest. Uh, okay, wow. so the whole idea of the program is once you have had, let's say, 10, 15 years working for somebody, as you correctly okay. pointed out, in my case, I started back when, when I was working for my parents. So I got the taste of entrepreneurship working in my family. But as you know, in my when you are working for a family, you are sort of not going to be structured, to be honest. You Mm -hmm. inherited something the way your parents did, the way things happened, you simply learned. But Mm -hmm. that's not the, you have not really seen the thousand different businesses. You don't know the best practices of how businesses run. So that's always been my challenge overall. Mm -hmm. After that, I did a lot of consulting in the Fortune 500 world. So I saw a lot of things from uh, how these bigger corporations operate. But I did not have that structured process overall how to create a company, especially when you are looking at some of these startups. In my case, when I went to the program, I did you know medical device, real tech, martech, so many different startups I explored. And the only reason I could do this is because the program actually provided the structured approach to how to create a company. Now to your comment about the success of the program. There are you know, some of the billion dollar organization that actually came out of the program, to be honest. So it's wildly successful overall in terms of coaching, in terms of providing the tools and techniques and the best practices and how to create a venture either inside the corporation or outside the corporation. 
Well, I think it makes a lot more sense with the, when you explain the average age of the people in the program. I, I just need to know about ERP systems. And maybe ERP is not even the best word because there's all these other terms thrown out and maybe I need those or maybe I don't. Can you just go through what is an ERP system and then what are other acronyms that I might hear and what are they? And for a shop my size, are they important? Yeah, so there are going to be many more. And the best way to think about this is going to be in terms of thinking either the business architecture or the enterprise architecture. And now I am again throwing a lot of different terms there. What, what's the difference between the two? So business architecture is almost the layout of your business information system. For example, in your business, you are going to have tons and tons of data and information. You use that information to be able to run your business. It's almost right. like your library. The only difference is the library is going to be virtual. Now, okay. if you are taking the structured approach to business architecture, the enterprise architecture is going to have slightly more technical flavor that gets into the tools and technology. Business architecture is supposed to be agnostic. How your products are structured, how your lines are structured, how your customers are structured. A lot of flowcharts? Sort of, sort of. So flowchart is taking information from one place to the next. That is almost yeah. like your interaction of your business yeah. activities. But here we are talking about the structuring of the data. For example, let's say when you oh, are- Oh, okay, I get you. So yep. those relationships in your information are super critical because that mm. is going to be the foundation of any information systems. So overall, if, if it's not, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but I just want to make sure I understand. So if the architecture is not structured correctly in between two different pieces, then you may have two great point solutions, but they can't talk to one another. And therefore it's their islands as opposed to a connected continent of cities. Exactly. I think you are nailing it to be honest. And I really like to correlate this with the physical world. For example, let's say if you were constructing your house, you would mm -hmm. not start by laying down the bricks. So let's say if you were installing the ERP, if you are simply going, hey, you know what? I need an ERP. I am simply going to install it and I'm going to figure out whether this is going to work for my business or not. Now, if you're working in your house, if you were laying down those bricks without having a clear plan in terms of what you are trying to accomplish from your architecture, that is going to be your enterprise architecture. That is going to be your business architecture. If you go to some of the developing countries, okay, the mm -hmm. way they construct the house is no plan. You can do whatever you want. Okay, there's no rules and regulations from the city perspective, no guidelines. You can do whatever you. That's the approach the majority of the business take when they design either the business architecture, enterprise architecture, or when they install the ERP system. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to find out what is going to be your business architecture overall from the business information perspective. And then you need to identify the right pieces and how they are going to interact with each other. Typically, the problem that we have in the business world or in the manufacturing world is just because the invisible nature of these systems, in mm -hmm. most cases, what is going to happen is you don't have a clear plan on the piece of paper. And then what is going to happen is you are going to be either over customizing your ERP or then over customizing your other systems such as your MES, PLM. Yeah, what, so, what, so what are all the pieces. It sounds like ERP is only one piece. What are, what are all the pieces I have to, for a shop my size, think about? So let's say if we completely focus on a shop, right? So, yeah. so in case of a shop, you are going to have an engineering department. Mm -hmm. Now, engineering department is going to use two or three different tools. It's going to be a CAD system. Mm -hmm. It's going to be your PLM system, PDM system, depending upon how sophisticated you are. Well, uh, I think our shop uses a just the file management structure in Windows. So is that considered a PLM system or or <laughs> talk about that? 
So it's just a better paper, in my opinion, when you say, uh, you know, I am managing my bombs, my engineering data on spreadsheets, then it's just a better paper because you don't necessarily have any sort of roots. You don't have any sort of structured processes. So you can do whatever you like. So you are leaving these things to a lot of interpretation, and then you are going to have a lot of issues because when you are looking at, you know, bomb from person one to bomb, uh, from person two, they are not going to look alike. So mm -hmm. there, is, there are not going to be any sort of standards inside your company now. But it's we, too expensive for me to take my customer's bomb and necessarily recreate it in my own system. I mean, I, I, I understand that that'd be beautiful if they match, but if, if there's a time and a cost to do that. And unless you're doing really high production, it, it just seems like that's too much. It is. So for example, let's say if you are a $5 million shop, it's really going to be overkill, to be honest, if you are going to be utilizing any system. But mm -hmm. let's say if you want to go from five to 25 to $50 million, there's no way you can grow your shop just by using either the spreadsheet or paper. The reason for that is because the amount of admin effort that you are going to get, the insight that you are going to need, the number of decisions that you need to make once you get to $25 million, to $50 million is going to be exponentially increased, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you want to get there, you need to lay the foundation. If you are $5 million, I would say, don't worry about uh, you know much of the technology. So when you say lay the foundation, do I have to, even if I'm not gonna buy it today, select the system to know what I'm going to be buying in the future? Or do I just know that I'm gonna need it at a certain amount of revenue or orders or parts coming through? So there is a process overall, the way when you grow, let's say you are going from the one to five to 10, right? So mm -hmm. your decision is going to be, do I hire another person or do I automate this process? Uh, okay. That's the decision that well, you need I, to make. I gotcha. Oh, so that's, that's a good way of thinking is every time I've got to hire someone, is there a software piece that might be able to preclude the hire? Exactly. So that's number one. Number two is going to be, let's say, if you are increasing your facility, those are going to be other triggers that you probably mm. should, uh, you know, review your processes. Why uh, you are increasing the facility? Is it because your internal operations are really inefficient, and that's why you are requiring additional facility? So whenever you are investing, your corporation is going to be made of three pillars, and that is going to be your people, process, and technology. A task can be accomplished either by, by people. You can have, let's say, a million people in your organization, mm -hmm. and probably that could work, but obviously that is going to be very expensive. It's not going to be scalable. But the same task that people are doing, people are really good at the value-added uh, task. They are really good at making decisions. Your systems are not going to make decisions for you, but what system can do is it can provide the structured and controlled processes so that you don't have financial loopholes in your processes. I want to get back to ERP. Yeah. What, what are the components of an ERP system? So when we look at the ERP system, and I, I want to make sure that I am explaining the ERP system before we get too further, right? So ERP is stands for Enterprise Resource Planning. And it's mm -hmm. really a catch term, to be honest, just because they could not find a real term for what ERP system really was. But okay. the whole idea of an ERP system is it's supposed to be your financial glue. Wherever you need dollars in your corporation, wherever your corporation is touching the dollars, that's mm -hmm. where your ERP should be touching. For example, ERP is supposed to be doing all of your sales planning, all of your supply chain planning. It's supposed to be doing all of your procurement planning. You know, when you need so the parts. I, I hear the word planning. Yep. And I think we don't really plan. We just get a job and we buy. So when I hear supply chain plan, I just think of purchasing. That's what you're talking about, right? So again, if you are running a $5 million shop, you have nothing to worry about because you are the only one who's probably doing a lot of things. You know, you have complete control on the but dollars. Let's, let's say it's a 10 million and you have someone who does purchasing besides the shop owner. Right. So let's say if you are 10 million, right? So depending upon how many people are in your procurement department, if it is just one and that is, you know, yeah. high trust person, then you don't have to worry about anything. But when you add, let's say three or four or five, that's when your problem is going to be significant because you need some sort of standardized process, some sort of financial control, or you are going to be losing a lot of money because- So you're, you're talking like batching material 
purchases across perhaps multiple orders from multiple customers for cost savings? It could be too many different things, right? So it could be the way your vendors are structured. Do you have any other ways of, you know, getting the discount from the vendor? So mm. let's say if you are buying all of your parts locally, then you don't know whether you are really capitalizing on the corporate discount. Let's say if you are going to be short on a specific part, uh, then you're typically the way the shop uh, owners work is, hey, I'm going to make 10 calls and I'm going to find out whether somebody has it or not. But you cannot operate this way uh, you know, when you are at, again, $50 million point, $25 million point. So you mm -hmm. need some automated way of running the operations when you get okay. to that point. And by the way, let me see, this is just one aspect. Uh, if you are going to be slightly more regulated, let's say if you are doing automotive or aerospace, they mm -hmm. are going to want to know pretty much everything that you are doing, where you are buying the parts from, what quality control do you have in place? What kind of documentation do you have in place? So the majority of these smaller shops, what they typically do is when they are going to be asked for all of this documentation, now they have to go to five different systems, 50 different spreadsheets. And now they are sitting there and compiling this data. So you probably require five people just to gather this data and mm -hmm. then send it to your aerospace, send it to your automobile, right? So, but, so, so what other parts of the ARP system are there? So ERP, if you simply look at it from the module perspective, then obviously yeah. your sales is going to be part of it. It's going to be your operations. It's going to be your finance. It's going to be your supply chain. It's going to be your procurement. Uh, what else am I missing here? Um, scheduling. Uh, scheduling, again, that's part of the operations, the way I like to think okay. it. Uh, but, you know, you might have slightly more specialized need for scheduling, and that's where your MES system comes handy. So What's, your an, what's, an, what's an MES system? It's the manufacturing execution system. So isn't that just part of an ERP system or? ERP system is going to provide you the basic bread and butter for a shop. Once you grow the specialized need in a specific department, for example, let's say if you have very complex processes in your shop and you are trying to connect with the machines, not all ERP systems uh, in the market are going to be capable to be able to connect with machine. So let's say if you bought an ERP system that cannot connect with the machine, that's where you need the MES system, but that MES system has to be talking to your ERP. So you're talking about machine monitoring and so somebody, uh, the MES would tie into somebody like machine metrics or datanomics or something like that. Yes. So uh, if you are going to be controlling the machine from your MES system, that's one part. But then you are going to be doing the preventive maintenance. Uh, you need to do. You need to find enough data so that you can make the decision whether your overall equipment uh, effectiveness of your machine is going to be enough or not. So again, how much you want to do uh, from your system perspective, that's when you need to analyze whether my default ERP processes are going to be enough to meet the needs of your shop floor. If not, then you need the sophisticated MES system that can integrate with URP. If it is not getting integrated with an ERP, then you are going to run into the same issue because they are not talking to each other. You don't really have the financial insight on your shop floor. You cannot really make the financial decision on that. So I, I get this. And how do I know that my ERP system can play nicely with other systems or software out there? So that's going to be a really detailed analysis. Number one, typically when you look at the deeper software selection process, what you need to do is number one, you need to document all of your processes, the way you are doing your operations as of today. Then the next step is going to be where you want to be, what all you want to accomplish in your shop. So these are going to be 200 to 500 or 600 different processes that you need to document that, okay, this is what I am trying to accomplish. So this is part of all of your business architecture, right? So now once you have documented that in next 10 years, this is the place I am trying to get to. How do I get there? So that's when you are going to identify, okay, so I need a sophisticated MES system because I have a lot of continuous improvement scenario. I am very heavy on machines. And if I don't monitor these machines, then I cannot really get to the 10, 15, $20 million, wherever you are trying to grow. So once you have that business architecture identified, that is your goal. This is where you are trying to get to. That's your sort of the business so plan. So it, it all comes back to, I better have a plan. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you don't have a plan, then I don't know how you are going so to run the business. You, you, you said there's... 200 to 600 processes, perhaps, is there, are there templates out there 
on the web that I can download to help me guide me or show me other shops, how they, what they put down for those two to 600 processes. So that's, there are. That, that's daunting if I think about doing it by myself, which I understand that's why you're in business as a consultant, but uh, let's, let's say I'm allergic to consultants. How do I do it myself? Well, so there are templates out there if you really want to do it, but you are not going to know the best practices of how the other shops are operating. So yes, there are going to be templates, but they are not going to be specific to your products, specific to your business model, specific to your micro or nano industry that you might be operating in. So sure, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not a rocket science to be on it. It's just a flowchart if you really think about it. But, you know, creating the SS model and creating the to be model requires deeper understanding of how these systems work, how data and information should be structured in the organization. Let me give you an example. Let's yeah. say if you have never worked in a library and I ask you, hey, Jay, go ahead and, and optimize my library. Or maybe you own a library, which is a chaos. You know, you have books everywhere. You have racks everywhere. There's no plan. Anybody comes in, then you are trying to find, you are trying to grab, you know, from your million books that, okay, this is the book that you are looking for. Give me four hours. I'll, 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 I promise I'll, I'll find it for you. That's how, uh, you know, my wife operates, to be honest, okay? She's amazing in, 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 in finding things from chaos. I cannot operate that way because that actually gives me a lot of headache to be honest, okay? So let's say if I ask that librarian who has never worked in an organized library, how is he or she going to organize that library? There's no way because he or she has never seen an organized library in his or her entire life. Now, if you are going to bring a person who has been to 50 different libraries that are super organized, okay? Now they are going to talk about, hey, you know what? If you are going to number your shelf in this particular way, you are going to run into this specific challenge. So they Mm -hmm. bring these best practices to be able to design a model that is going to work for your specific situation, for your specific business process. So that's where you need much deeper expertise of different industries because those are the best practices that really drive your as-is and to-be model from your, your perspective. But I mean, see, if you want to get the, the templates from the web, sure. I mean, there are million templates out there, uh, you know, that are on the web and you can, you, you can find those. There's, uh, we can point to the resources if you need. Anybody can give me a call and I can, I can give them dozens of resources. I want to talk about a couple other pieces. I hear you know, CRM. Yeah. Which, that, what does that stand for? So CRM is the Customer Relationship Management. Okay. So that would be, well, I used to use ACT in the old days, but I guess Salesforce and is it HubSpot, what other CRM systems are out there? So the market leading ones, if you look at number one, number two, number threes, then obviously Salesforce is going to be there. Microsoft is big vendor overall in the CRM ecosystem. Then you are going to have Zoho is pretty, uh, oh, yeah, Zoho, yeah. Zoho is pretty big and they have. Uh, so the- why? Why would I want a separate CRM solution as opposed to just using what is with my ERP system? And how nicely do they talk? Or is that depending upon each of the systems? It is definitely dependent upon each of the systems, okay? Mm -hmm. And when we look at the specialized need of any specific department or function, so we discussed the specialized need for the MES if your shop floor is going to be very heavy. In this particular case, if your sales and marketing processes are going to be super heavy, for example, let's say if you do a lot of marketing automation, you do campaigns, mm. uh, you are doing, uh, you are driving a lot of traffic from Google. Uh, ERP systems are not really designed for those scenarios. Okay? okay, you are going to fall short with that. So again, depending upon how sophisticated your sales and marketing department is, if you are super sophisticated, then you might require a specialized CRM system. But then when you get into the integration scenarios, that's where the real complexity is going to be. So let's say if you are going to be $10 million shop, you are better off simplifying your processes and manage your customer relationship management processes inside your your ERP, because ERP is going to provide you the basic bread and butter from the CRM perspective. But let's say if you are super heavy in sales and marketing, you are a $50 million shop, you can probably afford 
to do the integration from the IT perspective, that's when you are going to require a specialized system for the sales and marketing, which could be your HubSpot, of the world, Salesforce, mm -hmm. Zoho. Okay, and so here's one that I definitely have an opinion on. You mentioned financial reporting, and what I've seen is most of the ERP systems have their own accounting package in there. Yeah. Which seems to be that would be the basis of financial reporting. And I hate these, the ERP system. And I'll say the primary reason I don't like them is they almost always require a journal entry for a change. Yeah. And the reason is accountability. Yes. And I have found that QuickBooks is so much more flexible and for the ease of use, it's not necessarily integrated directly with the ERP system, but my COO used to work for a Fortune 500 company and he'd asked for a financial report. And this is obviously much larger than an ERP system in a shop our size, but it would take him a few days to get his financial report back. And by then he really didn't need it. So whereas he was running his own financial reports in QuickBooks, able to have stuff at his fingertips any time of day, not relying on anyone else. And yeah, there were some challenges in integrating it with, we use Job Boss, but it did integrate. We probably had to force it. Yeah. And, uh, but the fact that for me as an owner, I would go into QuickBooks and I would perhaps drive my, my bookkeeper or controller a little nuts in some of the ways that I would change how stuff was structured. But if I screwed it up, they could go and fix it anyways. But it allowed me to better understand the financial metrics of my business because I was just able to go back and forth. And I know in the ERP system, if I use the accounting package, I wouldn't. So I'm willing to be convinced that I should use the accounting package in the ERP system and let it flow to the financial reporting. But I just didn't see the need to. And you know, we were almost 50 million in sales when we sold the company and we were still using QuickBooks. Yeah. So let's go back to some of the comments that you made. Number one, you know, you hate the ERP system because they require you to do the journal entry. Now, yeah. again, I don't think it's the love and hate relationship between the ERP system versus the other systems. It's really the love and hate relationship, whether you want to follow the rules or you don't want to follow the rules. But, but, but the <laughs> rules, I would have had to hire another accounting person to follow the rules. And by the way, they are not going to have as much experience in the operation. So there is going to be a significant disconnect overall in what accounting says versus your what operation says. By the way, each of these systems are going to maintain the, the customer data, the vendor data, the item data. So this whole business architecture is completely disconnected. As you correctly pointed out, the delay in report. Okay, each time when you have to generate the report, then you have to hire those many people to be able to reconcile data from one, uh, one system to the next, and then you are going to find the data. So number one, there is delay. Number two, the admin effort. Uh, number three, duplicate effort overall. So the, the, the more you are going to grow, the, the more chaos you are going to have. Other I, I, that's, where you... I, that, that's where I disagree, Sam. We didn't have chaos. We had financial reporting at our fingertips. And if I had to do it, in job boss, I would not have. And the financial reporting tools were nowhere near as robust as QuickBooks. So let me ask you a question now, okay? And yeah. this is the real question uh, based on the similar shop. Uh, they were in roughly $6 million. So let's say if a customer comes to you, okay? And the customer is going to ask, okay, do you have this specific inventory available? Okay, mm -hmm. and I want at this specific price. Now, what do you want to do is you want to check whether this, what this person has bought in last, let's say two years, what was the price that was quoted to him or her, whether mm -hmm. he or she has paid the invoice or not, what are going to be your steps? Your steps are going to be this, okay? You are going to go in your job boss or whichever disconnected system you are using, you mm -hmm. are going to go there, you are going to verify the, the inventory and that system. By the way, your inventory is disconnected from your QuickBooks because your QuickBooks is the financial system that is actually maintaining your inventory. So you need to check in both the system. Then you go to your QuickBooks or maybe you talk to your accountant. So there's a lot of handshake, translation, communication, confusion involved in that, that process. So now we, you we had it all in job boss. I could go in and I could look at the router and it had all the steps and the costs and all that. And that was locked down. That didn't change. I, I could find all that in Job Boss. I didn't have to go to QuickBooks for that. 
So was it completely integrated with QuickBooks? Was, or no, was it... It, it, we, we were not instantaneously integrated, but we were bilateral once or twice a day. So, right. So when you say once or twice a day, are you getting all of the data? Are you getting the complete customer data, complete inventory data, complete GL data? Uh, yeah, enough to be invoiced out of QuickBooks. And then the invoice is pushed into Jarboss. Right. So, so there is a, a either the manual or technical effort involved in reconciling this. So basically what you are doing is you have created your own sort of the, the integrated ERP system. I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, you had a lot of people who were maintaining this code. Uh, well, I, you know, I, 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 we're going down sort of rabbit holes here, Sam, but I guess my point is as a shop owner, I'm being told that I should use the financial accounting package in the ERP system. And and I just totally disagree with that. And I find it cumbersome. And I, I really, I don't like QuickBooks online as much as I like the desktop-based version of QuickBooks. But for us, it was just so much more of a fluid, instantaneous reporting, financial reporting tool. And, and yes, there's perhaps a little bit, as you said, maybe they were integrated, even though they're two separate packages. But I think there's, I want to put out there for the audience that it's worthwhile to pay for that integration and keep something like QuickBooks that doesn't force you to use journal entries because that just kills you. It killed me as an owner. And, and I actually had my bookkeeper, when we were looking at bringing it in, she says, if you bring in, we do with the accounting and job boss, I quit. Okay, so here is a question for you, Jay. And I, you said that you ran a $50 million company. So one of yeah. the things that we, and again, we are more in the ERP business. Let's say if you are going to compete in larger contracts, they require the financial audit of your books. Okay, mm -hmm. have you faced any financial audit so far in winning the deals? If there's going to be Boeing or Airbus, if you are trying to be T1, they are going to require a financial audit of your books. So, okay, so that's, that's a good point. So if you're in aerospace or perhaps an automotive, then you're, you're going to be subject to that. But in my experience, even these smaller shops are actually trying to serve the automotive and, and aerospace. And you, yeah, but you that's, don't have but your... That's a, that's really a, it's a significant subset of manufacturing, but it's, there's a lot of manufacturing that's not that. And we did, we did aerospace. We didn't do much automotive then we never were subject to an audit. Again, what I am trying to say is unless you have that financial insight embedded in your process, your, I cannot tell you, you know, how much SGNA you had grown overall with the growth of your revenue. If it was increasing at the increasing rate of your revenue, then you cannot really grow after $50 million point. Uh, 30 to 50 million, again. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, it, you're right. At some point, we were going to have to address some other uh, accounting package to continue growth. Let me switch gears. Let's pretend that we're starting from a clean sheet of paper. Yeah. And we wave the magic wand. How would you construct the business architecture for a $10 million shop? That's, that's let's say it's a machine shop. It's vertical machining centers and not in the aerospace or automotive industry. Right, so let's say if you are a $10 million shop and you don't want to grow to 50 million, $100 million, and you know- well, let's, uh, say, let's say I want to grow to 20 million or 25 million. If you want to grow to 20 to 25, depending upon how fast you want to grow and how much manpower you want to, to have in your organization. If you really want to operate manually, you don't require any system. You can do everything manually. You just, you know, don't use any technology whatsoever, including you can well, no, do your accounting you know, on these spreadsheets. No, no, we obviously, we want to, we're, we're not growing 25% a year. We'll say we're growing 5 to 10% a year, and we have a goal of going from 10 to 20 million, 25 million over time. So when you are using a specific process, that becomes mm -hmm. the culture of your company. So let's say even if you are able to get to a uh, no. $25 million point using the processes that you have today, most likely what is going to happen after that point is these are going to be the same people who are going to help you grow from so that, this that, point that, to the next so, point. But that's a really good point because if you're growing 5 to 10% a year, there's nothing that's really breaking in a quick sense. It's things may stretch as you grow five to 10% in a year or a couple years, but okay. okay. So I, I get it. So you just keep 
you maybe you work a few more hours or you hire a part-time person. But let's say we're trying to be smart and we're starting with that clean sheet of paper. We're, we're trying to plan for the future. We can only buy so much now, but we, we want to know what we're going to bring in at certain inflection points. Right. So I guess the question that you need to be asking is going to be, do you want to create a centralized organization or do you want to create a siloed organization? If your goal Cent- is centralized, to- centralized. So, okay. So the, the, the organization that you are mentioning in your case, that is not centralized. The centralized meaning you have the centralized financial control. The assumption with the centralized financial control is going to be you are able to get quick insight across your business process to be able to analyze. Okay, it could be the... Okay. the, so, the but, but let's get specific. It's, 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 what do I need to look at? What do I need to consider? What's my business architecture look like? It sounds like you need to have the integrated financial part of it, but what else? Yeah, so that is going to be, okay, where are my customers, how the customers are structured, which are going to be the systems if you are using the system to be able to get to the next step. If you are using the integrated system, then you might require an ERP, you might require integration with MES, again, depending upon how much money you have in the pocket, how much trust you have in the technology to be able to automate that. So how you want to create the structure of your organization is going to be a question. So in this particular case, let's say if you are using completely tech enabled organization and you are not, you want to eliminate as many manual process as possible so that you have that operational and financial control. In that case, one of the things that you need to do is you need to have completely integrated ERP system. But before $10 million, I would say don't even worry about that because it's going to be overkill. You are going to require a lot of IT overhead to be able to maintain that system. So you are better off having just the siloed uh, you know, organization. Once you grow from that point, then you are going to have the growing pains. That's when you are going to realize that, you know what, just because of this disconnection, I am spending a lot of time in the manual effort. I'm not able to serve my customer the way I want to because I don't mm-hmm. really have that kind of, you know, the pricing flexibility. So, when you say, like, so I got to bring in an integrated ERP system. Are all ERP systems out there created equal? What do I look at? I mean, is there... There's desktop versus cloud now. What do, what's a true, in your opinion, a true integrated ERP system look like? And what's one that's maybe legacy that is more of a pretender of an integrated system? Yeah. So in my opinion, if we purely look at from the system perspective, you want to buy one system that can do all. But that yeah. is always but, not but, possible. But, so, so here's, so what I'm, what I'm trying to get to, Sam, I used to sell CAD way back. Yeah. And one of the things that we created tongue in cheek was a list of the top 10 lies that sales, CAD salespeople tell you. And one of the things which probably goes across CAD systems and ERP systems is we do everything, right? Exactly. And, and, and of course they don't. No, no system does everything. Yeah. So, but that's what the CAD salespeople will will tell you. That's probably what the ERP salespeople tell you. So what are these systems? They don't do everything. How do you figure out what they, where they're going to let you down? Because until you actually bring it in house, and I know a lot of the listeners are probably nodding their head here, like, oh yeah, we didn't realize that they couldn't do this until we brought it in house and switched over to it. Now we're stuck. But how do you find that out before you're stuck and, and have a true integrated system? That's when you need to probably hire somebody who knows what they are doing, to be honest. That's because these systems are designed to be deeper. They are designed to be invisible. It's in the best interest of salespeople to oversell uh, their products. So yeah, but what are some of the things that they oversell you on? What do they tell you that's not really true or it's at least gray? So the, the biggest is going to be integration always, okay? They are going to say that it's integrated. Now, integration could mean a lot of different things. Okay, they are going to say, hey, you know what? We have APIs. Now, APIs, what it means is it just has a face of the system. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's all API means. Now, these two systems are going to have their own faces. When you look at the integration, it's the each data mapping that you need to be looking at. So you need to look at the degree of integration. So that is the biggest, uh, you know. So if they say they have an API, and let's say we're using SolidWorks, and I know they have an API. You actually, at the time that you're looking at this, want to understand the mapping between the two systems. Is that, do you want to get into that sort of detail? Uh, selection? 
that's how you will find out you know how deeply they are integrated and whether you are going to run into any issues when you are going to use them by the way now when you are talking about two different systems and you are talking about the third system as well and this is the integration technology so okay. where is this hosted where is this hosted where is this hosted you need to pay attention to that now the pricing model of this could be completely different than the pricing model of this component than the pricing model of this component so you might have implications of all of that so you need to an analyze all of this otherwise you are going to get some surprise bills later on and you are only going to find that when you are talking to somebody who knows what they are doing by the way this is just one example let's say if you are exploring e-commerce in case of e-commerce you need to have a website you need to have some sort of commerce front um, mm -hmm. if you believe in e-commerce again if you believe in driving traffic from google if you do that that's going to be another system you need to look at the integration between these pieces as well so again integration is going to be the biggest challenge always in any system that you are buying the other uh, you know things that i want to really hone in a little bit more on integration my hunch is that you want third party integrators to be available to you because i just remember trying to get not just the ERP system, but the native software, you contact them to have to integrate something and man, it took forever and yeah. the price was crazy and yeah. they never, and they weren't very flexible because a lot of times you don't know exactly what you're doing when you're saying you want to integrate something. So I, I would think that independent third-party integrators, you, you want to ask if they're available and probably find out, get a list of some of them and just make sure that you really can integrate the way that they're talking about. Right. But I mean, you need to keep one thing in mind. The reason why you are buying the ERP, because you are not expert at building the software and you right. don't want to get in those fine lines of how technology works. Because again, the technology is extremely difficult. It's extremely risky. Right. But I want to, I'm, I'm just, I'm not necessarily, it would, I would want to tie my solid works to my ERP system, but let's, Somehow I got to do that. And I don't need to know how the ERP system works. I don't need to know how the SolidWorks functions, but I, I want the two to talk together. And I don't want to bring in an ERP system and have somebody say, oh, no, you really doesn't talk to SolidWorks. So how do we, how do you find that stuff out? How can you be sure that you are going to have support in creating those integrations if and when they come up? The decision is not going to be as binary. These systems are extremely complex. So you need to do the analysis at a deeper level in the pre-selection phase. You need to understand, okay, if they are saying that it is integrated, what kind of integration that is? So that's where the consultants can help you because they understand both the systems and they are going to be doing this requirement mapping at a deeper level. And they are going to be asking the right questions that you should be asking. Then, you know, asking some basic questions and the majority of the systems are going to be capable of doing all of that, to be honest. If you are going off of the checklist that you are going to be finding on web, you know, you are still going to run into challenges that, you know what, I now bought it. Now it doesn't work the way I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Then you are getting surprise bill from your CAT provider. You are getting surprise bill from your ERP provider. And then you are going to get, let's say, yeah. 10 bills from your integrator because there are a lot of moving pieces when you try to integrate two different technologies. Speaking of integration, the software providers encourage you to pay the maintenance charge every year to keep your software upgraded to the latest version. And if you're creating integrations, what is the likelihood you're gonna break an integration when either piece of the software upgrades? It's extremely likely because you know it's not supposed to be as binary and automated, right? So you have a phase and that phase you are designing based on certain assumptions that you had from your old system. Now, if mm -hmm. that system changed, there are going to be some changes in the interface. Right, that, right that makes sense. So I, I just, it, it seems weird because if you think, if you are creating integrations between different software, there's a disincentive to pay the maintenance fee and upgrade because you know you're going to have to, beyond paying that maintenance fee, you're going to have to pay someone or whether they're in your organization or a third party to fix the integration and upgrade that. 
Right. By the way, see, if you don't trust in the upgrades and especially related to ERP, the reason why they are doing all of these upgrades is because the law is changing on a daily basis. So ERP system is trying to provide you the control that you need from your regulations perspective, because it's supposed to be your financial system. So if you are skipping the upgrade, then you are not going to be compliant with a lot of different accounting standards that are changing on a daily basis. You are not going to be compliant with the security standards. And as you know, uh, you know, security is becoming the risk. The, mm-hmm. the yeah. hackers are trying to learn, you know, based on yeah. whatever they are seeing as of today, and they keep advancing in their capabilities. So the system needs to advance as well. So if you don't believe in in the maintenance and upgrade, and if you do, if you don't want to pay that fee and you want to do it yourself, you could be in serious trouble. Yeah, it, it's not that I think that you don't want to. It's just the fact that you know it's this this cascade of things that need to be paid for and changed every time you upgrade. And so I think the psychology is just, it's easier to not upgrade and suffer the consequence if it happens downstream, not whether right or wrong. It's it, there's a, as I say, there's a disincentive uh, to upgrade. At least that's the way I look at it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, really the way you want to think, I mean, there is a lot of disincentive in paying the taxes as well. But if you don't pay, you know what happens after that, right? So there could be significant penalty overall from the IRS perspective. So see, the rules and laws are designed for a reason. Do you want to comply? Do you not want to comply? The ERP systems help you in following a lot of those regulations. And that's the, the major investment that they are making in their financial module. Those are the upgrades that you are getting as software. So if you don't really do the upgrades, then again, you are going behind overall in that, that compliance. So you could be in trouble. I'm not saying that everybody is going to be in trouble, but there is a chance that you could be in trouble. Okay. Let's, you, you've touched upon this in a, in a lot of different ways, but maybe you could really quickly tell us in a nutshell what does your company do as a consultant? If you came in to my shop, what what are you going to do? So what we do is we help, and this is the same uh, argument that we have been having so far, the Mm -hmm. 80% of the ERP implementations fail. And the reason why they fail is you are going to build your criteria that I have these 10 different requirements and I'm looking for a system that is going to help me fulfill these requirements. Now, what we do is we are going to analyze the requirements that are going to be your critical success factors. And going back to your example about the integration, Okay, so we are going to document all of those processes for you. Mm -hmm. And after that, we are going to analyze, okay, which are the systems that are going to be right fit for your architecture so that when you talk to the sales people, they are always overselling so that you don't get burned because of the different licensing of different systems. You develop the right architecture for your system so that your technology is not going to fail. Again, our role is going to be in a lot of pre-selection process where we are going to find the right architecture, we are going to restructure a lot of things that you might be doing at this point of time. That could be, let's say, if your bombs are not really compliant with the way uh, you know things have changed over the period of time. And because of that, you might have a lot of inefficiencies. The way you might be compiling your reports, the way you might be doing your inventory at this point of time, the way you might have your MRP process, the supply chain process. So we are going to look at all of that and we are going to create a state that is going to take you to 25 to 30 to $50 million, $200 million. Again, the document the business goal, figure out what is going to be the right business architecture and then find the system and then implement if necessary. So totally understand that. As a shop owner, I'm always focused on the bottom line. And I know that consultants always, in my mind and probably a lot of the listeners' mind, it's extra money. And you've talked about some of the reasons why I should spend that money and bring in the consultant. But, but tell me, basically, um, and I don't think it's black and white, it fails or it, it works. There's a lot of gray in between. Why overall will I save more money or make more money because I worked with someone like you and your company, Sam? 
Yeah, so I don't think it's, uh, again, as binary decision as this. I think what you need to find out is what are going to be overall your goals, where you are trying to get to. I'll tell you one story of a company that actually grew from roughly $50 to $100 million. So the the person's name is Darren Mitchell. We have done one episode with him. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a very successful entrepreneur from Canada. Okay. So what he used to do is, it was kind of a machine shop, to be honest. They used to do the trailer uh, you know, the, the, the bottom trailer for either the snowmobile or trucks, one of those vehicles. Okay. okay. So when they grew from the five to 10 to 25, it was all easy. They were looking at the areas of improvement overall from the cost efficiency perspective, but when they got to the $50 million, it was unmanageable. The people were quitting the organization. And the reason why they were quitting the organization is because the number of decisions that they have to make for the inventory, for the supply chain planning on a daily basis was a nightmare. Okay. okay. So, so what these guys had to do is these guys had to figure out, okay, what can we do to basically either retain my people who are going to be key? Because if this person leaves, then you are not going to find the second person. Number right. one, you have to teach them. Uh, whatever this guy learned for last 20 years. So obviously this guy has a life that he's not enjoying and that's why he or she wants to quit. So there was a point when these people were forcing them not to grow. Can you believe this? Okay, they were saying, you know what? I don't want to grow anymore. Hmm. And these are the people of the organization. They build the organization because their life was hell. So once you get to that 30, 40-ish million dollar point, you are going to have significant challenges overall in implementing the system because once you actually learn your bad habits, it's very hard to teach good habits. So let's say for last 20 years, these are the same people. And today I am going to come at $30 million point and I am going to teach you, Jay, Jay, you know what? You have to do your journal entries because they benefit you. They are going to help you win larger contracts. They are going to help you with the compliance. They are going to provide you the real time insight and that is going to be your traceability uh, from the point when you touch your customer to your finance, you are going to have end-to-end insight how you are paying the taxes, whether there are going to be any advantages in from the tax perspective, if there are going to be any advantages overall from the asset perspective. There are so many things that you can do in the world of finance, but the financial people need a lot of data. They are hungry for data. The more data that you provide, the more insight that they can provide you. So in this particular example, when you get into the real supply chain planning, and that's going to be the MRP planning, typically in case of machine shops, that is not a problem when you are, let's say $10 million, because everything is just ad hoc, everything is just chaos. Uh, You know, you don't have as much planning. But once you get there, then when you have to do the supply chain planning for these many parts, for these many products, that becomes nightmare. So then what they had to do is they had to change their processes completely, and they had to bring an ERP system Everybody is going to be, and the ERP system needs to be integrated. If you are going to find disconnected systems, then you are going to run into the same challenge where one system is not going to be talking to the next. uh, And then again, you are going to have either the internal IT department or a lot of admin overhead, uh, or again, going back to the same chaos where the systems are not working. So again, I think at each state, there is going to be a fit for the system. For example, let's say if you are starting, you are one to $5 million shop, you have never spent, let's say, million dollar in technology, then I cannot ask you to go to, let's say, you know, larger ERP system. You need to take baby steps. So baby step is going to be, let's say, just isolate the accounting from your, uh, you know, some of the add-ons that you have in the market that are going to provide you the structured manufacturing. Those would mm-hmm. be a great fit at, at that stage. Once you get to, let's say, 10, 15, $20 million, that's when you are going to be thinking that I don't really have my consolidated inventory. I cannot really comply with GAP. I cannot do the inventory the way the accounting standards are asking me to do the inventory. Okay, I cannot really satisfy uh, my aerospace automobile. And by the way, if you are trying to grow different business units, trying to tap into the regulated industries, that's where your admin effort is going to increase. And sometimes you won't even get the foot in the door because they are going to come to your shop. They are going to audit your shop and they are going to say, okay, I am not pleased with number one, number two, and number three. And then you are going to have hard time producing these reports. It's going to increase the admin effort. So again, in this story, once you reach to the 30, $50 million point, that's when the number of decisions that you may have to make on a daily basis is going to increase significantly. Then your people are going to leave. So that is going to be the state when you should be leaving the decision-making or the information keeping to the system 
so that people can people don't have to make as many decisions. I don't know if that story makes any any sense to you. It, it, it does. It does. I think we we've gone around the horn here on this whole subject. To conclude, let me ask you about WBS. Yeah. And what is it? Why did you start it, and how does it tie into your company? And 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 just talk about the different aspects. So, yeah. So WBS Rocks uh, has many different facets or uh, different aspects to it. The whole idea is really to build the thought leadership in the community overall, from the ERP and digital transformation perspective. Promote as much education as possible to the manufacturing community so yeah. that they can grow. Uh, you know, if they are stuck, let's say at 10 million, 15, 20, 20 million dollar point. So we have several different initiatives as part of the community. We have our podcast where we have published for now 100 episodes. So yeah, so the whole idea is just to touch very specific topic and teach the manufacturing community how they can benefit. We don't like to preach ourselves. We invite guests like you, Jay, who can talk about their real life experiences, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the challenges. So we capture all of that. Then we have our happy hour. We have clubhouse rooms. Uh, we have... Um, so we I have... want to just jump in. Can you just tell people who aren't familiar with Clubhouse yet what it is? Because it's a relatively new app out there. Yeah, so it's the audio-only social media platform. So what you can do using Clubhouse is, let's say if you are trying to hang out with the folks in the industry, there are going to be many different rooms in the clubhouse that you can find based on your interest. And you can go there, you can talk to people, a lot of people. For example, let's say so, I'm there. So, so you would download this clubhouse app and then you would search for the WBS rocks room. And then depending on the time of day, there may or may not be someone in there or do you, do you have scheduled different things at different times during the day. But bottom line is you can, you can just listen or as I understand it, you can participate and be part of the conversation. And that's, it depends how large the room is and what the host wants the listeners to be able to do. Is anything you can add to that? And what sort of conversations do you guys see happening there? Yeah, so there are two ways, uh, you know, you can look at it. Number one, you are going to have the live rooms so that you don't have to remember when these rooms are being scheduled. So mm-hmm. if you go to Clubhouse on the homepage, you are going to find 15, 20, 2,500 rooms that are happening right at this moment, okay? So okay. you can just go there, you can engage with people, you can ask questions, you can speak uh, based on your thought leadership. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to follow a scheduled room, for example, let's say if you want to find out, okay, when WBS Rocks is going to meet, then you can go to our club page, you can find all the rooms that are uh, that are going to happen in the near future. You can hit the remind me button and then it's actually going to notify you that now WBS Rocks is meeting. Now maybe I should join because this is going to be a conversation related to manufacturing ERP, digital transformation. What was the, the other question that you asked and towards the end? Uh, I, I'm well, what, what sort of conversations do you do people have? Do you, do you, do you have specific topics that you bring up? Is there a different topic every time? Is it just sort of free-floating? Who wants to talk about ERPs? Anybody have any questions? But what, what, what goes on? So, I, I guess I, I think of it sort of like a, it's a live version of a podcast with you being able to jump in and ask a clarifying question. Exactly. So, so it's really the live version. In our case, we have some of the prefix topics as well, and we try to promote those, but it could be we have some of the open-ended conversation as well. So we are going to put the topic uh, as the manufacturing ERP, digital transformation, and you can simply come in and listen to. So you might not know what people are going to talk about, but sometimes what happens is people are going to have a lot of questions in the room. So when you listen to them, you are actually going to have uh, under, yeah. listen to the real time experiences as opposed to a pre-scripted topic. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, Sam, time has flown by talking with you. I really appreciate you letting me pepper you with these questions, tussle on some of this stuff back and forth and get that honest conversation going and let me pretend to be a shop owner again. Your transparency and candor are refreshing. And I, and I think it's really important too is you don't have a horse in the race. You want people to be successful with ERP systems and you know the value of them. 
So well, thanks for thanks for being on today. How can people reach you? Yeah, so uh, the best way, the easiest way to find is going to be just look up, look up for Sam Gupta, WBS Rocks on LinkedIn or Twitter. I am everywhere. You cannot miss me. So it's going okay. to be S-A-M is the first name. G-U-P-T-A is the last name. WBS Rocks, W-B-S, R-O-C-K-S on LinkedIn, Twitter, or you can go to WBS.R-O-C-K-S is going to be the domain name. If you fill out the contact form, my team will get in touch. Uh, with you. Great. Well, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Um, that's pretty much it, I guess. You know, the only closing advice I'm going to have for your listeners is the ERP systems or any technology systems are designed to be complex. So one of the things that you should be thinking as the machine shop owners is lay out the path, lay out your processes. You know, what is going to take you to the, the next phase. So it's not going to be just the documentation of the processes. I would suggest that create those financial statements where you are trying to get you. Once you actually create those financial statements and track back in the overall process, then you will have the complete visibility. And then the process of growing is going to be far more methodical. It's going to be far more systematic. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time, Jay. It's been a fun discussing this with you. Again, good to have you here, Sam. Thank you. And I really like the phrase digital transformation. There's still so much analog in our shops, and this is where the opportunity for growth is, that digital transformation. And the way I think about it is that an ERP system can either help you or hold you back. So the question today is, is your ERP system an asset to your shop? Would you buy it again today knowing what you know now? Or would you do something different? And yes, it may be painful to replace, but... Is it an anchor that's choking your shop's potential for growth? Till next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a most wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, It also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.